Well, good morning. It's good to be back with y'all. We have a little celebration in our family. Today is my wife's birthday, and she's finally legal, so I can claim her and uh, name her. And uh, as I was told this morning, I'm aging gracefully. I doubt anybody told you that this morning, have they? Yes, I guess I'm having birthdays too. Well, one day there was this Sunday school class of first graders where the Sunday school teacher had been teaching them on the forgiveness of God. And she started off by telling them of how there is uh, pleasure in sin for a season, that we can all enjoy sin for a while, but after a while that sin will separate us from fellowship with God and it will bring devastating consequences into our lives. But we can be a people who are forgiven of God simply because God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sin, rose on the third day so that we could have eternal life. And for all who will put their faith and trust in them, in Him, there's sins can be forgiven. They can experience a a new relationship with God. They can have that sin wiped out and experience the peace of Almighty God. And wanting none of her class to, to miss the point and to miss God's forgiveness, she looked at him and said, okay guys, now listen, what's the first thing we need to do so that we can experience God's forgiveness in our lives? Well, there was a hush over the classroom. Nobody said anything. And so she said it again. She said, come on, guys. We just talked about it. What's the first thing you got to do to experience God's forgiveness in your life? Well, all of a sudden, one little hand went up. It was little Johnny. She said, okay, little Johnny, what is it we got to do? Tell us. And he said, well, teacher, that's simple. Just as you said, we got to enjoy a little sinning first. Well, that's kind of cute. Doesn't have a whole lot to do with the sermon this morning other than I guess you could say that uh, while little Johnny's answer was kind of correct, it was certainly missing the point. Amen? And you know, I'm tragically afraid that so it is for many in the church of America today. Now, I'm not afraid, I'm not concerned that people in the church of America today are missing out on God's forgiveness or not wanting God's forgiveness. I gotta be honest with you, I've never met a single person in a church who wasn't seeking God's forgiveness in their life. I think most people hear the message of forgiveness and want God's forgiveness who are sitting in churches. But I'm tragically afraid that many people are missing the point. In other words, many people hear the message of God's forgiveness, but they're failing to embrace the call and demand of God's forgiveness. And folks, because of that, I think the question we need to ask this morning is this. What is the call and demand of God's forgiveness? What is that call and demand His forgiveness makes on my life? What is it I need to know about it? So I don't walk in failure missing the point like little Johnny. Well, to answer that question, I invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that's going to help answer that question. A passage of Scripture where we're going to ask the question. And I beg you to ask each one of you to ask it of your own heart. Am I truly forgiving? With your Bibles in your hands, I invite you to stand as we read God's holy and infallible words, starting in verse 21. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slaves fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. 
So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Folks, this morning as we walk through this passage of Scripture, we're going to clearly see that for everyone who has experienced God's mercy and forgiveness through the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, is obligated to extend that same mercy and forgiveness to our brothers and sisters who sin against us. Can I say it this way? For every one of us here this morning that have experienced God's mercy and forgiveness, salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, are expected, better put, demanded of Almighty God to walk with that same mercy and forgiveness towards those who sin against us. Let's pray and then come back and see how that statement unfolds in this passage. But more importantly, what this passage teaches us about the kind of forgiveness we need to have today, and even more importantly, why it's so important we walk with it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and the truth that it contains. We're grateful for the opportunity you're giving us at this moment to just open up your word and to study it and allow you to speak to us. And this morning we have a passage of scripture that every single one of us in this building right now needs to understand and grab a hold of. Lord, it's life for today. And yet I'm reminded that I'm a fallible man who can mess it all up. And so this morning I ask that you would remove me from the picture. That you would take control of my lips and tongue. Fill me with your spirit. Fill my mind with your thoughts and speak your truth through me. Oh God, please keep me from adding anything to this word or taking anything away. But may I only proclaim the truth that's in this passage set before us this morning. A truth that will set captives free. God, I pray that'll happen today. I pray for my backslidden brothers and sisters in Christ that are here walking with a heart of unforgiveness. That this morning they would see the failure of that. That they would be convicted of the sin that they're committing and repent of it and come back to the fullness you desire to have with them. Father, I especially pray for those that are here today that have never experienced your forgiveness simply because they've been too busy practicing religion instead of jumping into a living relationship with Jesus. God, I pray this morning that would change. By your mercy, I pray, oh God, you would open their eyes and let them see where they stand before you in their desperate need of Christ. And then through the grace and faith you give, they would bow the knee of their heart to him as sovereign Lord and Savior, that today would truly be the day of their salvation. But Father, I also pray that through the preaching and teaching of this word, you would be honored and glorified. That we would get the clear instruction you've intended us to have. And that the name of Christ would be exalted. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. It is his glory to overlook a transgression. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 tells us that man never shines any better than when he's walking in true forgiveness with others. Folks, you and I can never shine any better than at that moment. I gotta tell you, as I thought about that, I thought about we didn't have to, we don't have to look too far to see that. We can look at events that have just taken place this past year in our, in our own country, even right here on the East Coast. I, I, I think about the riots that took place in Baltimore versus the community unity that, that took place in Charleston, South Carolina. And everything that went on in Baltimore centers around unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. And how everything that you saw take place in Charleston, South Carolina was because of of a forgiving heart. And while I could sit here and pull from those two sources for a while and really make a point, I still think there's one that's happened in our not too far back uh, uh, past that, that really drives it home even better. And it's what took place in Lancaster, Pennsylvania almost a decade ago. 
Many of you might remember on October the 2nd, 2006, a man named Charles Roberts walked into an Amish schoolhouse armed with a gun. He forced the adult teachers as well as the male students out of that schoolhouse, then locked the door, barricaded it, and then forced the 10 girls who were left in there to lie face down on the ground. He tied their hands behind their backs, binded their feet, and then he made this statement. He said that he was angry with God because nine years earlier, when his little infant girl was born, God only let her live for 20 minutes, and then she died. And so he was angry with God, was going to get even with God, and they were the vessels through which he was going to get even with God through. And upon making that statement, shot all ten girls, including himself. And on that horrific day, if you'll remember... Five of those girls died, including Charles Roberts. Folks, a horrific event that took place all because of a heart of unforgiveness. And yet the story doesn't stop there. There's a twist to it. And the amazing twist is how the Amish community responded. Some of you might remember that on that very same afternoon, one of the grandfathers of one of the slain girls was quoted by uh, reporters as saying that they needed to forgive Roberts and his family for after all, they were people who had souls too. If that isn't enough, that very evening, some of the Amish neighbors of Charles Roberts went by his home to comfort his now widowed wife. If that isn't enough, at Charles Roberts' funeral, the Amish showed up and outnumbered everybody else who was there. Now, if that isn't amazing enough, they even invited Charles Roberts' wife to attend one of the closed funeral services of one of the girls of whom her husband had shot. Now, if that isn't enough, they if you remember, most of you know this, they even set up a charitable fund to take care of the Roberts family. And when asked why they were doing this, when asked why they were responding this way, their answer was this. Are you ready? The Lord had commanded us in his word to do it. The Lord had commanded us to walk with that kind of forgiveness. Folks, you can say what you want about the Amish. That day they shine. And you know, as I think about that, I ask the question of myself. And I ask the question of you. Does that describe the forgiveness you have in your heart towards others? And I really, I guess the question is this. Is that the kind of forgiveness God expects me to walk with? Is that really the kind of forgiveness I need to have? Does God really expect me to walk with that kind of unconditional forgiveness? Well, I want you to know if you're asking that question or if you've asked that question, you're in fast company. Because that's the very question the Apostle Peter asked of Jesus himself. In fact, look back, if you will, at verse 21. Notice what Peter says, what it says here about Peter again. Then Peter came and said to, to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and, and I forgive him? Now listen, Peter's not asking this question off the cuff. It's not coming out of the blue. It's a very well thought out question because it's a very provoked question. See, it comes on the heels of a teaching that Jesus had just given concerning church discipline and what the real motive of church discipline was. In fact, to kind of get it on the stage that it needs to be, you've got your Bible right there. Look back at verse 15. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. For truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Listen, Jesus just gave the format for dealing with sin in the camp. He just gave the format of how to deal with sinning brothers and sisters. And he starts it all well with by saying, you need to deal with it privately. Isn't that funny? That's the last thing the church ever thinks about doing. But he says, deal with it privately. Go to them privately and show your brother's fault. If he won't listen to you, then, then you uh, tell it to two or three. Go back and share it again. Maybe he'll listen to them. If he doesn't, then you tell it to the church. Give the church an opportunity to talk about it. And then if he doesn't listen to them, then you, as a last ditch effort, you put them out of the church. You take away their church membership. But, but listen, he didn't lay all this out so that we can get even with people who do wrong with us. 
He didn't lay this thing out so that we can even the score or get a little payback. No, it's the real purpose of it all is said right there in verse 15. Look at it again. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Here it is. Are you ready? And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. See, the whole purpose of church discipline is so that an erring brother will see the error of the way, come under conviction of it, Repent of it so that restoration and healthy forgiveness can become the rule of the day. That's what Jesus is emphasizing. And nobody understood it at that point any better than the Apostle Peter. He understood exactly what Jesus was saying. As followers of him, as his disciples, he's expecting them to walk with a heart of forgiveness. He understood it, but there's something else Peter also understood. And that was his and man's potential of doing the same sin over and over again. And so Peter asked this very probing question. He says, then Peter said to him, Lord, how often shall I, how how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? In other words, how, how many times do I got to keep forgiving my brother or sister who sins against me for the same old monkey mess? How many times do I got to keep doing this? You know, some of you in here, I dare say almost all of you, especially if you got children or if you're married, have said that at one time or another. How many times have I got to keep forgiving you for the same thing over and over again? Any of y'all ever heard that? I hear it all the time. I think I've cleaned up a mess on the counter and leave it, and I, then I have to say I'm sorry, and I hear, how many times have I got to forgive you? Well, I got the answer for that today, but anyhow... Um, <laughs> I'm glad I rode with Lawrence. <laughs> so Peter asked this, and then he gives an answer to it that he thinks is going to get him an attaboy. He says, up to seven times. Now listen, you need to understand what's fueling this seven times statement that Peter has just given. See, over in Luke chapter 17, Jesus taught about if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and he repents, you're to forgive him seven times a day. And Jesus, all, every time he's talking about forgiveness, it seems like seven is a good number that comes in there. But, but also there's something else that's going on. There was a rabbinical teaching that was taking place at that time that came out of Amos chapter 1 that said, your brother sins against you three times, you're obligated before God to forgive him three times. But on the fourth time... Katie barred the door, game on. And so Peter's thinking to himself, okay, well, the Lord used seven. Uh, they say three, I'll double it, add one, give that perfect number of seven, and I'm going to get this attaboy. And, and you want to know what Peter's doing at this moment? The same thing every one of us want to do is put a limit on forgiveness. But notice what Jesus says here, verse 22. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but, but up to 70 times seven. Now, folks, don't miss that. Jesus isn't saying 490 times and on the 491st time, Katie bar the door, game on. No, what he's trying to do is show, Peter, you're missing it. It's not about the number of times. Do yourself a favor. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, it's not about the number. It's not about the number. Folks, you want to know what Jesus is going to get ready to show us? It's not about the number. It's about the extent of the forgiveness. And the extent is to be full forgiveness every time. And to drive that point home, he now gives a parable to show the kind of forgiveness we're to be walking with. Now, this morning, we're going to just look at three points in this parable, just broken down into three points. But I think you're going to see them very valuable. They walk right through it. And the first thing that Jesus is going to show us about the kind of forgiveness we need to be walking with, he's going to show us in it, he's going to show us the healing grace of a forgiving heart. He's going to show us the kind of forgiveness that God has shown us and the kind of forgiveness we need to be showing one another. Let's go plowing this. Look at verse 23. Notice what Jesus says here. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. 
Jesus is beginning to say here, look, if you want to know how forgiveness plays out in the kingdom of heaven, as a kingdom citizen, how the kingdom of heaven is played out in your life and how it needs to be playing out through you, it can be compared to a king who goes and wishes to settle account with his slaves. Back in that day, uh, they had uh, kings had uh, governors and satraps who were responsible for collecting the taxes and stuff. And every now and then, the king would come along and call them in and settle accounts with them. Now, folks, I'd like to step aside for a moment and point out something to you. If you had been over at Farnham Baptist Church with us, you'd be understanding something very clearly here at this moment because we've been doing a series through the parables that Jesus taught with titled, Sitting at the Feet of the Master. And something we have been seeing very clearly through the parables that Jesus teaches with, and really all of God's Word teaches of it, and that is the fact that every single one of us have a day of accountability coming. Every single person has a day of accountability. If you don't think so, let me just remind you. For every single one of us who are truly born again this morning, sealed to the Spirit of God until the day of redemption, there's a day where we will stand before Jesus and give an account for how we've lived our lives after we've been saved, how we've used the resources God has given us with, how we've affected other people, and whether or not we have given glory to His name through what we've done or not. We're going to give an account unto rewards. But hey, you You want to know something? For every single person here today who hasn't yielded their heart to the sovereign lordship of Jesus, you're still going to stand before Him and give an account. It'll be at a place called the Great White Throne where the Lamb's Book of Life will be open and the Book of Works will be open and every name that's not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be judged according to their works and they will be punished and cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Folks, every one of us in here have a date of accountability before Jesus. Jesus. Every one of us will stand before Him. Now, having said that, that's really not the accountability He's referring to here. I would have been remiss if I hadn't have told you, but you, the, the accountability that He's speaking of here is really the kind of accounting that God is doing at this very moment. See, the accountability He's speaking of here is when God comes along in the person of the Holy Spirit and through His Word, through the way that only He can speak to the heart. He convicts us of our sin, shows us the failure of our way, convinces us of our need of Jesus, and leads us to surrender our heart to Christ so that He can forgive our sin and not have to judge us at a great white throne. And that's the kind of accounting Jesus is spiritually referring to here. And if you don't think so, just watch how the next couple of verses unfold. Look at verse 24. Notice what it says here. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. In other words, here's one slave who's brought, who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, I realize as I say that figure, it really doesn't mean much of anything to us because we really don't know what a talent is, most of us today. We, we don't understand the, the, the size of 10,000 talents. But let me kind of see if I can bring it into a little bit better scope for you. Back in that day, the whole tax base of Palestine was only 800 talents. In other words, Jesus is trying to give this 10,000 talents not as a specific number, but as a number to just show the absolute size and enormity of this guy's debt to the king. It'd be almost like trying to say today, we owed $3 trillion. You personally owed $3 trillion. Now I know as I say that, that still don't strike most of you. But why? Because none of us have ever held a trillion dollars. In fact, I think that's the one reason why America isn't shocked at the fact that they owe $18 trillion. Because we just can't put it into perspective. But you know, I saw something on the news that helps put it in perspective a little bit. You know, they said if we tried to pay off the debt today, that it would take every living man, woman, child that's living in America today to pay $38,000 to pay back the debt. It begins to get a little bit bigger, doesn't it? But still, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. None of us can really think of a trillion. None of us can really think of a billion. A billion sounds pretty large to a lot of us. But you could say this is a debt of $3 trillion. This astronomical, unimaginable debt. 
And notice where this debt leaves this guy. Are you ready? He's got a problem. Look what it says here in verse 25. Realizes this. So verse 26. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Some of you got to King James and it says he fell down and worshipped him. In other words, at that moment, he, he, he's in brokenness. He sees the failure and the consequences of the way that he's been going. And in that moment, in true contrition, he falls down before his Lord and begs for mercy. Hello, folks. Can I tell you something? If you ever want to find forgiveness with God, that's a really good place to start. You don't come down the aisle smacking your gum and thinking that God owes you something. God owes you nothing but a hot place in hell. He owes you nothing but judgment. This guy's falling on his face and pleading with the Lord. I want to make this right. Only one problem. He can't make it right, can he? He wants to pay it back, but he can't. Can I just say something? I thought I'd skip this. I'm not going to skip it. You know, I'm afraid. There's a lot of people in the church today that think that same thing. See, they sit in a service and come under the conviction of their sin and the failure of their way. And instead of surrendering their heart to the sovereign lordship of Jesus... They start thinking to themselves, well, I'll just come to church a little more. I'll give a little more in the offering plate. I'll just do a little more and God will forgive me. Folks, that's failure. Your righteousness is but filthy rags in the sight of God. You've already failed. You know what we need to come to grip with this morning? We have absolutely nothing to offer God. When it comes to salvation. Let that pen prick your pride balloon. You have nothing to give. And this guy yet is wanting to make things right. And you want to know what? His Lord is wanting to make things right. So notice what happens in verse 27. You talk about a verse to hang your head on. You talk about one to put under your pillow and go to sleep with at night. Well, here it is. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. The Lord of that slave was moved with love for his slave. And in love and mercy, he decided, I'll absorb the loss and wipe your slate clean and set you free and send you on your way. Hello, folks. If you're born again today, it's only because that's exactly what God has done for you. When He came along and convicted you of your sin and brokenness, you responded to Him. And His great compassion and mercy, Jesus absorbed the loss. And God took and placed His righteousness on you and declared you the righteousness of Christ Himself. And set you free. And sent you on your way. In a new way. Folks can I share with you a passage of scripture. I think that makes that abundantly clear. It's what the apostle Paul said. In Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. I'd like to read it for you from the new century version. I think you'll like the wording. And it certainly says exactly what we need to hear. Listen to this. In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and and the things you did against God. Yes, in the past, you lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of the evil powers that, that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. In the past, all of us who, who, who lived like them trying to please our sinful selves and, and doing all the things our bodies and minds wanted, we should have suffered God's anger because of the way we were. We were the same as all other people, but God's mercy is great. And He loved us very much. And though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God, He gave us new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. Folks, if you're born again today, that's who you are. And listen, if you're here this morning, and you haven't experienced that forgiveness of God in your life, you can This would be a great place to stop, but we got a little bit more to go through. But let me say to you, 
If you're here and you haven't experienced God's forgiveness, you don't need an altar call. You don't need an invitation to come down here. While I'm preaching, all you got to do is just cry out to God like that slave did. Humble yourself and say, God, I'm just like that slave. I owe you. I'm in debt to you. But I want the slate wiped clean. I want to be forgiven. And just ask God for His mercy and grace in your life. And while I'm preaching, I promise you, if you do it from your heart, He'll forgive you. He'll wipe the slate clean. Why? Because as Jesus has shown us, that's the healing grace of a forgiving heart. But now the story gets sour. Been good, but now it gets bad. Because just as Jesus has shown us the healing grace of a forgiving heart, now he's going to show us the flip side of the coin, and that's the hurtful hypocrisy of an unforgiving heart. Look, if you will, at verse 28, notice what it says here. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who, who owed him a hundred denarii. Now get the picture. This guy just got forgiven an incredible, unimaginable debt, an unpayable debt. And now all of a sudden he's going to find this, this fellow slave. And because it's a spiritual issue, you can literally say a brother, a sister in Christ who owes him something that's small. A hundred denarii in comparison. A hundred denarii. It literally today's standard would only be a couple of thousand dollars. In comparison to the three trillion this guy owes, it's peanuts. It's a small amount. And yet what's he doing? He's going, he who has been forgiven such a great amount is no doubt going to look for this one who who, who owes him something little, something teeny. And i got to tell you, right there answers the question for many when they ask me. They say, how do I know if I've really forgiven somebody or not? You want to know how? Right there is the key. When you think of that person, when their name is mentioned to you, when you're sitting in your easy chair in the house, And old Joe comes to mind, who's done a little against you. Do you all of a sudden, "Mm, that Joe? Or how about if you walk into a room and you see old Joe across the way, and the first thing that pops into your heart is those bitter, resentful feelings. Can I just be very honest with you at this moment? People like to say, I can forgive but I can't forget. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. See, because if you're a child of God and you forgive, He'll remove the bitter and resentment. And if you think about somebody who's done you wrong and that's all you can think about and those bitter and resentful feelings come up, I need to tell you right now, you've got a heart of unforgiveness. And don't take that lightly because watch how hurtful an unforgiving heart will be. Watch what happens here. Watch this. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. He begins to literally choke the guy. Give me what you owe. His master, his Lord of whom he owed three trillion dollars to didn't even treat him that way. And now he's being very unbecoming in his response to him. Can I tell you, if you've got an unforgiving heart, so will you. You will shun that person. You will say hurtful things about that person. You will hurt them. You will act in very unbecoming ways towards them. And yet notice how this slave responds. Are you ready? Look at verse 29. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and he began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. He begins to say, look, man, let's just work this out. I don't want this problem to be here. Let's settle this thing. And it's an issue that can be settled. And isn't it amazing that this guy says to him the very same words he just said to his Lord. The very same words. You would think at this very moment it would kind of shake him out of his stupor. And he'd say, yeah, let's go on and settle this issue. Only one problem. There's a verse 30. Look what it says. But he was unwilling. Man, let's settle it. Nope. Let's not have this riff. Nope. We're not going to settle this. 
and notice what happens. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Now, I don't mean to be trivial here. But have you ever noticed that people who are in prison have a really hard time earning a paycheck? They have a really hard time paying back debts while they're in prison, don't they? And the way this thing works now, he stays in prison until the debt is paid. He's just brought great destruction into this guy's life. And folks, can I tell you, if you've got a heart of unforgiveness towards another, that's exactly what you will do to them. You will gossip about them. You will talk behind their back. You will say cutting remarks. You will try to tear them down every opportunity you can. And can I just say something very candidly? If that's you this morning, and you claim to be a follower of Christ, and you're doing that kind of stuff, you are a hypocrite. Do you not see the hypocrisy of this dude's action? And when you and I fail to forgive others and seek to hurt them with the things we say and do because of that hurt that they've caused us and won't forgive, we're walking totally contrary to the calling and commission we have in Christ. If you don't think so, let me just remind you of what Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says. Bear with each other, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Are you ready? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you want to know what the number one calling we have in Christ is? We have experienced God's ministry of reconciliation through Christ and now has been committed to us. The ministry of reconciliation. And when you and I fail to walk in that ministry of reconciliation, at that very moment, one who claims to be a follower of Christ, we are walking in the height of hypocrisy. He who gave all to forgive us of so much. And now we won't even forgive our brother and sister of so little. That is the hurtful hypocrisy of unforgiveness. And don't take it lightly. For as Jesus has shown us the healing grace of a forgiving heart, the hurtful hypocrisy of an unforgiving heart, Notice with me now, if you've been wanting to check out, I suggest you check back in. Hang tight for about the next eight to nine minutes. We'll be done. If it's burning, it's already burnt. <laughs> Let it suffer loss, don't you? Because Jesus is going to show us the high cost. Of walking with an unforgiving heart. Look at verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened. They were deeply grieved. Can I correct something that might be erroneous in some's thinking today? Some like to think that somehow or another their sin of unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is a sin. That their unforgiveness is just between them and another person. And so it will only affect them and that other person. There's nothing any further from the truth. Folks, unforgiveness is like throwing a rock in a still pond. It sends ripples throughout the whole pond. If you don't think so, let me just show you. Show me a family where there's unforgiveness taking place. And I'm going to show you a home that's very dysfunctional. You show me a group or gathering of people like a hunt club or something else, and we're from the country, so hunt clubs is a good example. I don't know, moose club or whatever here, or athletic club. But you get a couple people in that club who are walking with unforgiveness, and when they're there, it's a bitter, trying place to be at, isn't it? Or how about this one? Let there just be a little unforgiveness in the heart of some people in a church, and I'll show you a church that's getting ready to split. Folks, unforgiveness touches everybody around you. 
I can look at some of you nodding your heads right now. Why? Because you've probably experienced the pain of unforgiveness in your family and you've experienced the hurt and the separation that comes because of it. And the wounds, the pain is deep. It touches everyone. And so it is here. This guy's brothers and sisters, remember it's a spiritual parable. His brothers and sisters see this and they're grieved. They're grieved over how they see this one brother acting. And so notice what they do here. You ready? Verse 31 again. So when his fellow slaves saw what, what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. All of a sudden they come and they tell their Lord how this one slave who had been forgiven so much is now acting so unbecoming and unforgiving towards this one who owes him so little. This one who's been forgiven of such a big offense is now holding such a little offense against this one over here. And it's grieving their hearts. And so they cry out to the Lord about it. Folks, don't you miss this. Because if you think that somehow your unforgiveness is just between you and the other person, can I tell you, there's a whole bunch of people around you who've got to walk with the Lord. And when they see you walking in that way, it grieves their heart. And even though they might not say anything to you, I promise you in their quiet time, they're saying something to Him. See the division it causes? And don't take that lightly because watch what happens next. Verse 32. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. I really don't think any of us ever want to hear those words from Jesus. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Do you notice? Not because you worked it off. Not because you're a good old boy. Because you pleaded. And so notice what he says here. You ready? Verse 33. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? If you're ever wondering, does God really require you and I to show others the same forgiveness that He's shown us? There you have it. Yes, He does. It's a rhetorical question that demands the answer, yes. Should you not have mercy on your fellow brother or sister in Christ just like I had mercy on you? And the answer is yes, positively yes, affirmatively yes, always yes. And this guy has it. And watch what happens. Verse 34. And his Lord moved with anger. Now just stop right there. If we just read over that and kept going, we'd miss something great. What did that guy experience before the Lord the first time he was standing before him? Compassion. The mercy and love of his Lord. This guy was broken over his sin, was crying out to his Lord, and his Lord had compassion on him. Now all of a sudden, here's this guy walking with unforgiveness. And and what mood does he find of his Lord? Anger. Folks, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I can tell you this. I've read the Bible. I preach through the Bible. And there's one thing I've noticed. It's true people of God. There's only a few things we can do to get his danger up. And one of them is right here. To be walking with unforgiveness. You walk with unforgiveness. I can promise you as a child of God at that moment. You're going to find the hot side of God. And don't take that lightly. Because notice what his Lord does. Are you ready? Now remember. Jesus is telling this spiritually. And the Lord moved with. And his Lord moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Now, it didn't say he handed him over to the executioners. He didn't lose his salvation. It says the torturers. In other words, he comes under the chastisement of his Lord. Folks, let me pause right there. I want to say something that I think we had better grab a hold of. There's such a thing when it comes to the chastising hand of God that when He brings chastisement into our lives, sometimes He even pulls back His hand of protection. 
allows us to come out from underneath the umbrella of His protection. And will even to some degree allow the devil to have a go at us. Folks, that's exactly what Jesus is describing here. The Lord of this slave handed him over to be tortured, to to suffer, to experience some pain. And for how long? Until he pays back what he owes his master. i got to tell you, I agree with a lot of good scholars. That's not referring to the original debt of 10,000 talents. That's been wiped out. That's been forgiven. Oh, ho, ho, there's a new debt. You want to know what that that debt is? To walk with the same forgiveness that his Lord had shown him. We all have that debt. This guy stays in torture until that debt is paid. Please don't take what you're seeing here lightly. Because I can tell you, time doesn't, doesn't, doesn't even give me to tell you of people I have seen in my ministry who because of unforgiveness in their heart are suffering and have suffered physical ailments, emotional ailments, mental ailments, spiritual ailments, financial troubles, all because of a heart of unforgiveness. And many, even under that pressure, won't forgive and stay right there. Folks, the requirement is to forgive. And I can promise you as a child of God, if you refuse to forgive your brother and sister in Christ, you're going to experience that kind of chastisement in your life. And if you think I'm trying to pull some kind of rabbit out of the head, here I am, some northern neck, redneck preacher who's just trying to spit and spew and bring some kind of fear into your life to get some kind of emotional response. Well, let me tell you right now, just take me completely out of the picture. You don't have to take my word for it. Have I added anything to the word so far? Taken anything away? Well, then let's just see what Jesus has to say about this. You do remember who he is, right? God incarnate in the flesh. The author and finisher of our faith. What does he say here? Verse 35. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I didn't say it. He did. And the truth of the matter is this, folks. For every one of us who have experienced God's forgiveness and mercy through the completed work of Christ, we are obligated. We are expected. Yes, demanded to walk with that same forgiveness towards our brothers and sisters who sin against us. Folks, God's forgiving. And he stands ready to forgive every single person in here this morning. And the question is not whether God's forgiven. He is. The real question is, are you forgiving? Are you walking with his forgiveness today? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And while it's a sobering word, it's an enlightening word. And it's a reminding word. It's enlightening because it reminds us that you are a God who stands ready to forgive. You are a God who does not take the delight in the destruction of anyone. But that you are long-suffering, wishing that all should come to repentance. That all would be walking in a restored relationship with you. God, we thank you and praise you for that. Thank you that we can be forgiven through the completed work of Christ. 
God, your word also reminds us that for us who have experienced your forgiveness, you expect us to walk with that same forgiveness towards one another. And Father, oftentimes, because of our humanness, we fail to do so. And because of that, we bring great failure into our lives. God, I'm certain that right now you are speaking to some hearts. Hearts that need to forgive. Hearts that have never truly forgiven another as you have forgiven them. God, I pray the failure stops now. That it starts with them gathering around the altar and just confessing that sin before you and then going and trying to make it right with that brother or sister. But Lord... We also know that there's probably a couple in here right now who have never experienced your forgiveness. They've never truly surrendered their hearts to Christ. I pray this morning that position ends too. This morning during the time of this invitation, you would move as only you can upon their heart. And that they would swallow all pride and surrender their heart to Christ and confess Him as Lord. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, that's all I got. But it isn't over. Because it's been my experience that most of us at some point in our life has some kind of forgiveness that we need to give to another that we failed to do. It would be my guess this morning that there's an overwhelming amount of folks in here that are walking with unforgiveness in their heart towards another. That's failure. Listen. God gave it all for you. God so loved you and had mercy. He sent His only Son to die for you. He took abuse hung on that cross and bled His blood so that you could be forgiven. So that your debt could be canceled. The slate would be wiped clean. And not only that, but you would be given a new heart, a new life, a new lease, a new pep in your step. If you haven't experienced that this morning, you can. This invitation is for you. But for those of us who have experienced that, and you know whether you have or not. Are you forgiving others? Folks, if you're not, let the hypocrisy stop now. Stop. Don't, don't, don't experience God's judgment and chastisement in your life. Don't suffer because of unforgiveness. Listen, you know, unforgiveness, I, I don't mean to drag it out, but you know, unforgiveness causes us to suffer all the way around. If we haven't experienced the forgiveness of God, we're suffering. And if you step into eternity without the forgiveness of God, you suffer for all eternity. And if you're here this morning and you have experienced God's forgiveness, but you're failing to forgive, I can promise you, and you know it, right now you're suffering. Let the suffering end this morning. God doesn't want us suffering. He wants us healed and soaring like eagles with wings. This invitation is for you. Will you come?